Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. If this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you let us know? Send an email to toledocalvary.org. We would love to hear what God is doing in your life today. Well, again, good morning, Calvary. So good to see you today, whether you're here in Auditorium 1, join us in Auditorium 2, maybe you're with us online or by way of television or the podcast. So glad that you are in this service with us today. One other quick note before we jump into Matthew chapter one is where we will be today. Many of you, I'm, I'm sure, know, and we don't need to go into the details of the leaked document, but know about the, the document that uh, is the, the, the decision that is pending from the Supreme Court with regards to Roe versus Wade. And uh, for many of us, we are not only thankful that that uh, seems to be on the horizon, but believe that the Bible clearly teaches that life begins at conception, Psalmist says that the Lord knit us together in our mother's wombs, and this is a recognition of something that so many of us have prayed for, that we have stood for life over the years. I want to encourage you in two ways. One is that as excited as we are to see this document that was leaked, it's not a done deal, right? So I'm encouraging you to pray, to believe that uh, God will turn the tide on this thing and that we will see a nation that stands for life, I also would encourage you that for many of us, especially those of us that maybe have prayed for, uh, we've thought about this day for a long time, that should Roe versus Wade be overturned, my, my concern is that the church would then celebrate and go, we did it, we're done. <laughs> but the reality is that standing for life is not something that will be done, it will be something that is just beginning. And so just want to encourage you that we would continue to be a church, continue to be people who stand for life. And I would love it if people would accuse us of loving other people too much in what we see and do as a church. And when we talk about loving other people too much, that's a great segue for Mother's Day, is it not? Happy Mother's Day, moms. And so honored to be able to honor you today. There is nobody like a mom which is why these kids wrote these notes to their moms. Let me share just a couple with you. This, this little girl wrote, Dear Mom, thank you so, there were six O's, so much for being my mom. If I had a different mom, I would punch her in the face <laughs> and then go find you. Love, Brooke. And then I think, I think this little guy wanted to tell his mom just that he, he thought she was the best, but the note said, Dear Mom, you are the beast mom ever. I, I love this one. Dear mom, thanks for putting up with a spoiled, ungrateful, messy, bratty child like my sibling. Love your favorite. I like that one. Why did I write them? Because moms are awesome. And I don't know if you've learned this, but don't mess with a mom. Right? You said that with the voice of experience right there. <laughs> Joe, don't mess with a mom. I read about a mom who was tired of the fact that, that she would go to work, husband would go to work, kids would be left at home alone during the summer, and then none of the chores would get done. So mom came up with a strategy, and every day she would leave a note that said something like this. Today's Wi-Fi password can be unlocked. She changed the password every day. She said, today's Wi-Fi password can be unlocked by texting a photo of a clean kitchen to mom. Said photograph must contain one box of crackers on the counter by the stove to prevent the reusing of any previous photos. 
Mom was very savvy. She said, thanks for playing. May the odds be ever in your favor. <laughs> Love, Mom. Don't mess with a mom. So, Mom, today we are going to look at some stories in the scripture of five unforgettable moms. Five moms from the Old Testament primarily that uh, are unforgettable. And we thank you, moms. We celebrate you. But today's message is not just for you. I, I think you can relate to much of it, but it's designed for all of us. In fact, if I, if I, had, a, if I had a hope for what we're going to look at today, it would be that you would be encouraged if today you are discouraged. So many times we can have lives that feel good, look good, seem right in so many places, and there can just be that one little sliver, that one relationship, that one facet, that one circumstance that just tends to discourage us. And isn't it interesting that so many times it's the discouraging part that takes up more real estate in our brains than the encouraging part, true? So many of us may have come in here today and you have some sense of discouragement. And I want today to encourage you by looking at these stories, and I'll just warn you at the outset, they're messy. Some messy stories about five unforgettable moms and God's great plan. We, we started last week a, a series where we're gonna work our way through the book of Matthew, so to do that, we start where Matthew started with a, a listing of Jesus' genealogy, basically his family tree, and we're gonna work our way through this for the next few weeks. And when you look at his family tree, you notice something. Anybody ever read the, the genealogies in the Old Testament? Like when you're going through the books in the Old Testament and you get to those different places where you're reading and you get so-and-so was the father of so-and-so who was the father of so-and-so who was the father of so-and-so who was the father of, you know those passages? Or so-and-so begat so-and-so begat so-and-so begat so-and-so. How many of you have ever read those? How many of you have ever skipped them? Okay, yeah, don't lie to your pastor. How many of you have ever skipped them? Yeah, right? Because you read them and you go, and we'll look at this in a couple of weeks. You read them and go, this doesn't apply to me. Why are these important? Like, we'll answer the important question later. One of the things that's notable when you read these is primarily, like almost always, it's true in the, in the genealogy that Luke gives of Jesus, primarily they're the names of males. Very rarely do you see the names of females. Yet Matthew kind of breaks that paradigm. As he works through the genealogy of Jesus, five times he's gonna mention someone's mother. He's gonna talk about someone's mother. I just love it that as we're starting this series, we get to the genealogy on Mother's Day where we can talk about these five unforgettable moms in Jesus' family tree. So I wanna look at five unforgettable lessons from five unforgettable moms. We're just gonna have time for some short descriptions. Um, I hope you'll go back and read some of these for yourself, but let's jump right in and take a look at this. Matthew chapter one, verse one, very beginning of the gospel of Matthew. Matthew's gonna walk us through this, and he says, this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Judah. This is an interesting progression where he starts because oftentimes, symbolically, you see it in the Old Testament, you even see it in some of the New Testament, Jesus will use it himself, that to speak of the Jewish people, they will be referred to as the people of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You're gonna hear these names, they're the big three, 
right? They're, they're the foundation of the Jewish people. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so he starts in this place. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. Then he says, Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah. If you've never read about their birth, it's kind of a, a fun little story, especially if you have twins or twins in your family. That's a fun little story to read. The father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. So here's the first mom first unforgettable mom that Matthew says, I'm gonna put this little piece of the puzzle in my genealogy of Jesus. Like We'll look in future weeks why Matthew started with this genealogy, but when he does, the first mom he mentions is Tamar, who for many of us, we, we might, we, I've heard that name, but I don't know her story. Like, who's Tamar? Well, let me tell you this. When we look at Tamar, there's a lesson we get, and it's this. Number one, that God chooses the unlikely, when you see the fact that Matthew's gonna start by giving the mom Tamar, it reminds us that God chooses the unlikely. Her, her story is in Genesis chapter 38. You might wanna jot that down because I'm, I'm not gonna read it to you today. I'd encourage you to go read it for yourself. It's a story of a lady who has to pretend that she is a prostitute, pretend that she is a prostitute in order to find justice for herself and her family. So it's it's... It's kind of a shady, messy story. And what strikes me is that of all the places, of all the moms that Matthew could have listed, he starts with Tamar. It's not that he didn't have any other options, because he already went through the big three, didn't he? Abraham, Isaac, and Judah, or Jacob. And if you read the stories of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you know who factors prominently into their stories? Their wives, the moms, Abraham and Sarah, Isaac and Rebekah. Jacob and, and Leah, and there's, there's a wild story right there if you've, if you've never read it. So if he wanted to talk about moms, if he really wanted to add some females into his genealogy, he'd have started with the big three and their wives. Notice I didn't call them big. You don't ever want to do that. Right, he starts in that place, but he starts with Tamar. He doesn't go to the ones where you think he would go. Why? Because he wants you to see that God does the unlikely. He chooses the unlikely in our lives. He's showing you that sometimes God does the things that you don't expect. One thing that's really interesting about this is that Matthew will go, and we'll see this later in his gospel again, Matthew will go to great lengths to give value and honor to women, which is not normal in that day and time. There was much marginalization among the genders, even abuse within the Jewish society, and Tamar is a woman who was wrongfully denied motherhood by the deceitfulness of men, and yet at the very beginning of his list of these five women, Matthew goes to Tamar to show that no matter who you are, Jesus came to show that he did not come just for the important, he did not come just for the powerful, he came for every single one of us. Aren't you thankful for that? That's why Jesus came. But one more thing about Tamar. I don't know if you've noticed, but not only am I not going to read you the story, I don't want to read you the story. Like, it's, it's ugly as right. Yeah, you should read it for yourself, but, spoiler alert, don't read it to your preschooler tonight before bed. <laughs> if they made a movie about the Bible... Genesis 38 is why it would be rated R. Right? You, you, I don't want to talk this through. So this is a story I'd rather gloss over. Your pastor does not want to talk to you about this on Mother's Day. 
And don't we all have those things in our lives? Those, those people in our lives that you go, yeah, I don't want to talk about that. We've joked that uh, if you shake your family tree, fruits, flakes, and nuts fall out of it. And sometimes even worse, right? Things that you just go, I don't want to talk about that. I don't want to talk about that person. I don't want to talk about that relationship. I don't want to talk about that in my life. And the reality is we can tend to want to push certain things aside or cover certain things under the rug. And as a result, it limits the ability for God to do things in our lives. Can I tell you this? God chooses the most unlikely of people to accomplish his unbelievable purposes. And there are purposes that God wants to play out in some of our lives, but he has a hard time accomplishing them because we keep telling God that it's not likely to happen. And maybe we need to say, God, I'm gonna trust that you've got something you wanna work out in my life, even if it's highly unlikely. I went to an event, man, this has gotta be probably about 10 years ago now, and it was uh, people from all over Ohio. We were at this, this church in Cleveland, and they were doing a giveaway, and they were giving away a, a free week of camp for, for kids. Well, we had three kids at the time, so I was paying attention, because I would take a free week of camp there's all these people in the room and they were gonna draw a name out of the hat and they were gonna you know, give that week of camp away. Well, I, it never happens to me. Like I know some people, like it seems like every time there's a drawing or whatever, their names get called. Mine never does, never, never does. But for whatever reason that day, like the, they're up there, they're about to pull the name out of the hat and they're just about to do it. And for whatever reason, I just went, I'm winning this. Like out loud, I said it, which don't do that. It's weird, it's arrogant, I mean, it's all this kind of stuff, but I don't know, I just went, I'm winning this. And they're up there, and they're like, all right, we're gonna draw the name of the camp, you know, and they reach into the thing, and they pull it out, and they pull out the little name, and they go, the winner is Chad Gilligan. Is Chad Gilligan in the room? And I was like, yes, that's me. I won. The most unlikely thing to happen was they picked me, and I saved 150 bucks. Can I get an amen? Like, that was awesome. Wow, you got excited about cash. I got to remember that, right? And here's the deal. I thought, that never happens to me. But that day, my name got pulled out of the hat. And some of you have spent the last week, the last month, the last year, the last lifetime going, it's highly unlikely anything good's going to happen to me. It's highly unlikely God would choose me. It's highly unlikely this is gonna end up okay. It's highly unlikely my story can have a happy ending. It's highly unlikely you fill in the blank. And can I tell you, right now I'm standing on this stage and I'm reaching in and can I tell you, if you're hearing my voice, then I am pulling your name out of the hat. And I am telling you right now, based on this story from God's word, that God chooses the unlikely to accomplish his incredible purposes. Which takes us then to the next part of our story. Matthew chapter one, verse five, tells us this. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed was the father of Jesse. We get two moms for the price of one in that verse, don't we? All right, so let's handle them one at a time. Here's, here's the first mom that we're going to look at from Matthew chapter one, verse five. Her name is Rahab. Now, Rahab has a really interesting story. We find it in Joshua chapter two. So if you're not familiar with the book of Joshua, the, the people of God, the children of Israel, they're called, are just about to go into the land that God promised them, but they're gonna have to conquer it. To do that, the first stop is Jericho. 
It's this big walled city. It's a tough fortress. They've got to get through there. So in Joshua chapter two, verse one, it says, then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute. We've got a theme going on here today, don't we? Entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. That's our introduction to Rahab. That when the spies went to see how they could conquer Jericho, they end up at her house. And what we see in the story is that Rahab, who's a, who's a Gentile, not a Jew, Rahab, who's an outsider, not an insider, Rahab, who's, let's just say, is not very righteous, Rahab, who's actually among the enemy, hides these spies, and as a result of saving their lives, she has her life saved. A couple chapters later in Joshua chapter um, six, when you get to this point where the city of, of Jericho is being destroyed, it says, but Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute, there's her last name again, isn't it? With her family and all who belonged to her because she hid the men Joshua had sent as spies to Jericho and she lives among the Israelites to this day. Here's what I want you to see. The second lesson from an unforgettable mom, number two, that God uses the unqualified. Rahab was the last person that you would expect to be the one who was going to literally provide the opportunity for victory for God's people. And yet God uses the unqualified. If you're discouraged today, be reminded that not only does God choose the unlikely, he uses the unqualified. And this woman, who is known as the prostitute, we're still talking about thousands of years later. In fact, they don't just talk about her in the Old Testament, they also talk about her in the New Testament. When the book of Hebrews lists all the kind of heroes of faith, they refer to Rahab by both her first and her last name for some reason. And then when James talks about her, James says this, James chapter two, verse 25, he says, in the same way was not even Rahab the prostitute. We have to keep coming back to that for some reason. Like that's how she's remembered, considered, was considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different, it's interesting, he tells the story here about Rahab. And then in his very next statement, he says this in verse 26, as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. He just called her a woman of faith by what she did. This woman who was a sinful outsider, this woman who was among the enemy, God chose to use her when she trusted him in faith. It's not the actions of our past or the uncertainty of our future, but it's our faith today. Get this, Rahab had a very sinful past and she's living in a city that's about to be destroyed. But that wasn't what God looked at. He looked at her faith today, and that was what qualified her to be used by God. And she exemplifies the truth that when you trust in God, even if you are unlikely or unqualified, God is there for you. Have you seen the common thread so far between these two? These people who are quick to go, not me, Highly unlikely that I would experience something from God. Not me. God wouldn't use me. I'm unqualified. I don't have what it takes. I'm not like other people. I'm not good enough. You ever felt unqualified? You ever thought, God, I don't, I don't know that I can do this. Especially on this Mother's Day, if, if we're honest, moms, grandmas, I bet there's moments where you just feel overwhelmed 
and understaffed. <laughs> and you wonder, where did all these kids come from? Anybody? <laughs> and you just say, God, I don't know how I can do this. And this story is just an example of how God says, when it's unlikely, when you're unqualified, God steps in. It's not your family tree. It's not your professional life. Can you see that these two women not only have a story where God steps in, they become grandmas to Jesus. They're a part of his family tree. This becomes even crazier when we get to the next story. So let's go back. Matthew chapter one, verse five. Two lessons we've learned about the unlikely, the unqualified. We get to this one. We already talked about Rahab, and then it says Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. That means that Boaz was married to Ruth, right? I had a friend stop me who's a great theologian, and he reminded me of this biblical truth. Now, if you don't read Hebrew or Greek or Aramaic, you might not see this, but it's good for you to know, I'll point this out, that Boaz, do you know what Boaz was before he was married to her? He was ruthless. So Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, and Obed was the father of Jesse. This is interesting. Because her son was Obed, her grandson was Jesse, and if you know the story, Jesse's son becomes a king, and he's a king whose name is David, one of the most prominent people in the Old Testament. So we'll come back to this in a moment. What was Ruth's story? Well, Ruth's story is told in the book of Ruth. We, we actually took about four years ago, we took multiple weeks to walk through the book of Ruth. Here's what we find out about the book of Ruth. She was a Gentile, not a Jew. She was a widow who had lost everything. She was an outsider from another country back in Israel in a place where she did not belong, which put her, especially culturally, family-wise, financially, in every way, in an extremely difficult spot where she wondered, does my life have any value at all? And her story reminds us this, third lesson, number three, God loves the unloved. Number three, God loves the unloved. If you wanted to put together a checklist for what it's like to be abandoned, alone, unloved, Ruth checked all the boxes until God sent someone named Boaz who loved her. And you, you can read this beautiful love story in scripture. And what we find is this woman who has no rightful place to be in the family line of Jesus Christ actually plays one of the most critical roles in his genealogy leading up to King David and the promises that God will make from there. He literally becomes... Jesus, who is from the seed of Solomon and David, and you don't get there without Ruth, this woman who's unloved. So can I remind you that even when you feel abandoned and alone, you are loved by God. And don't take that to extremes, right? Some of us go, ah, that's, that's not me. I never feel abandoned or alone, no. Rewind the last month in your head. You ever had a moment where you thought, they don't understand me. Nobody understands what's going on in my life. They don't get me. They don't care. Did you hear what she said? Did you see how he treated me? And we start running through these things that if we're not careful, they might not seem like big deals to you, but the enemy uses that to beat you down and eventually to tell you that not only does that person not care, but eventually if he can stack those up enough, he takes you to God doesn't care. And you start to feel like you're unloved, not just by the people you're around, but by your savior as well. And don't fall for that lie. 
Because Ruth's story reminds us that even when you feel abandoned and alone, you are loved by God. And he's there with you. And he sees value in you. Every so often, Rhonda will say to me, um, hey, do we have anything going on tonight? Which is code for, hey, we've got something going on tonight. <laughs> right? And she'll, and she'll be like, hey, there's a, I, I saw this piece of furniture on, online. Can we, can we go take a look at it that somebody's selling? Usually some older piece of furniture or something. Uh, oftentimes she'll say, hey, do you want to go to an estate sale? Any estate sale people? Where you go to somebody's house, a house where they don't live anymore, and this is all the stuff they left, and for some reason you think you want to go, they didn't want it, and now you think you do, right? We'll go and we'll look. And you know, oftentimes, I'll, you know, we'll, we'll pull up, we'll look at this piece of furniture, and I'll be like, I am not taking that trash home. Rhonda goes, hey, will you help me get that in the van? We, we were at this estate sale, and we're walking around, and we're looking at all this stuff, that, and these people had a ton of stuff. And we go down in their basement, and they got all this stuff, and she walks over into like this corner, and, and she starts going through all the stuff that's like on this little table. And I'm like, I'm not taking that junk home. And she starts picking up all of it. And I'm like, I'm not taking all of that junk home. And I'm like, what are, what are you doing? And she goes, look at this table. I'm like, the table's covered in stuff. They, I, don't, I don't think they want you looking at the table. She goes, look at this table. And I looked at it, and it looked like a flying saucer or something. I was like, some alien getting his basement on that? That's just, it's just, I didn't see it. It was, just, it was gnarly looking. It was kind of dirty. It's got like this brass thing and these wood legs and all this kind of stuff. And I'm like, oh, this is weird looking. And she goes, we're buying it. <laughs> so we cleared all the junk off of it and we took this thing. And then, you know, it's home. Next day or so, I come home and I come walking in the living room. And I walk in the living room and there in the center of the living room is this beautiful table with all this stuff set out on it. And my first thought was, wonder where we got that? Because I wasn't paying attention. And then I went, oh, that's the flying saucer from that dude's basement. Because to me, it was just a piece of trash. But to Rhonda, it was a treasure. My wife has this incredible ability to take a look at something and go, hmm, I can make something special out of that. I can make something beautiful out of that. That thing that you would just keep in your basement or throw away, she says, when I'm done with it, it'll be the centerpiece of your home. You don't believe me? You should have seen me before I met her. <laughs> God has that same gift. Where there's, there's circumstances that you look at, there's people that you look at, and you just go, <laughs> they're a mess. If you're honest, you might even look at them and go, they're trash. People that you work with, people that you know, people in your family, oh, we're so good with doing that with people in our family, aren't we? Because we know their story. Oftentimes, the people we're best at doing that with is the person in the mirror. And we just go, I just don't see how anything can come of this. And God says, oh, <laughs> when you see trash, I see a centerpiece of my kingdom. When you see something that others would discard, I see something beautiful. Just let me get my hands on it. Let, let me put a little love into that. and Watch what I can do. And the story of Ruth that Matthew goes to great lengths to give us. Well, forget Ruth. Think about the three we've looked at. Tamar is the story of a woman who was hurt over and over again by other people. 
And Rahab is the story of someone who was used over and over again by other people. And Ruth's entire life is defined not by what she had, but by the things she'd lost. And in every one of these stories, what you see is how God steps in to our stories and takes what is unlikely, unqualified, and unloved and makes it a master part of the story that he is weaving together in our lives. For some of you, you look at Mother's Day and you go, I love this day because it's fun. You'll be honored. Maybe you'll get some gifts. You'll love it because of family that is together. You'll love it because of the things that hopefully you'll, you'll eat and enjoy time together. But that's not the case for everybody. For some of you, you don't say Mother's Day is my favorite day. You say Mother's Day is, is one of my least favorite days. For some of you, it's Mother's Day, and so maybe even that's the reason why you're not in this room, but maybe you're watching on a screen somewhere instead today. Because you just go, I don't deal with this day. Because it just reminds me of dreams that I had that have not been fulfilled. Or it reminds me of a mom who wasn't much of one. Or it reminds me of relationships that I've lost. People that are gone forever, people that are gone from my life and what could be a day of celebration actually just feels painful. And Mother's Day can be a very difficult day. It can be difficult for some of us and I just want, if you're here and you're discouraged today, I want you to be encouraged and I don't want you to miss Ruth's story because she checked every box of what it meant to be abandoned and alone and yet when you read that story, and this is what I want you to hear today from God so clearly, you are loved. And he sees incredible value in you. Which takes us then to the, the next story, right? So we've, we've been through this process. We've got Tamar, we've got Rahab, we've got Ruth. And Ruth, who's married to Boaz, and before that he was ruthless. And then you've got Obed, and then you've got Jesse. And then when you get to Matthew chapter one, verse six, you read this. And Jesse, the father of King David, there's his royal title. And David, now it's just David, not King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. We don't even get her name. We just get her story. Her name, if, if you know this from scripture, her name was Bathsheba. But here, for some reason, Matthew doesn't even tell you her name. He just says, you, he's like, you guys know the story. It's David and Solomon. And Solomon's mom, well, she had been Uriah's wife, which is an interesting story. 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 2, we read in verse 1 that David probably should have been out at war with his troops, but instead, one evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. And from the roof, he saw a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful. And David sent someone to find out about her. And the man said, she's Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah, the Hittite. That's her, because she used, she used to be Uriah's wife. And we read that story and we go, what is going on here? Like, well, what was David doing? Did David always go out on the roof at night and just kind of take a look around? And one night he just happened to go, well, look at that. Or had David had a practice of knowing when to go out on the roof, and that night he happened to take binoculars. <laughs> and what was Bathsheba up to? Well, why was she out taking a bath on the roof? Now, it's going to be real warm the next week. Have you guys seen this? Temperatures in the 80s? Look me in the eye. Take it from your pastor. 
do not take a bath on the roof. Do you hear me? Why is she doing that? Was it cultural or was she a flirt? And I've heard it all. I've heard that Bathsheba was seducing David. And I've heard that David was abusing his power and took advantage of Bathsheba. What's the story? I don't know. I just know this, that I'm not reading you verse four because it's rated R. But I'll read you verse five. 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse five says this. The woman conceived and sent word to David saying, I'm pregnant. Whatever the story is here, it's not good because you have the king and this woman and now you have sin, which takes us to the fourth lesson from an unforgettable mom, number four, that God redeems the unholy, that God can redeem the unholy. This is an interesting story because first David has an affair with Uriah's wife. Then Uriah is killed in battle, if you read the story. And the reason Uriah is killed in battle is because David set it up for him to be killed. David basically murders Uriah. Then the child that is, uh, is, is conceived through this act of adultery dies in the story. Is this an episode of 48 hours or what? Or I mean, it's just it's one thing after another. And yet, when Matthew puts the story in there about Solomon, the wisest person who ever lived, the richest king in Israel's history, when God puts the story in about one of the most notable characters in the Old Testament, he does not say Bathsheba. He says, you know, she was Uriah's wife because he wants you to see there's more to the story on this one. There's more going on here than just what we want to gloss over. He wants you to know that he is able, that God is able to redeem the things that are unholy in our lives. Because let's just be honest. If King David got caught doing what King David did, we'd cancel him and the story would be over. And what others may have canceled, God can redeem and restore. God can work through. Why do I stress that? Because some of you in your lives think you've already been canceled. And that because of what's happened in your past or the things that you've done or the things that have been done to you, it's all over and that's the only thing that you are. And this story reminds us that what others may have canceled, God can redeem and God can restore. So Matthew, why tell this story? Like why not just say David and keep rolling? Why put that little story in there? I think because he did not want us to think that Jesus belonged to a nice clean world of middle class respectability. Like when you look at his family tree, Jesus belonged to a family of murderers, cheats, cowards, adulterers, and liars. And Matthew wanted to reinforce what Paul tells us in 1 Timothy, that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. Jesus said, I didn't come for the righteous, I came for the unrighteous. And remember who's writing this? If you were with us last week, Matthew's writing this. Of the 12 disciples, he was probably the most notorious of the sinners. So this isn't misery loves company. (laughs) This is him wanting you to know that no matter your story, Jesus came to save sinners just like me and just like you. Aren't you thankful for that? That's what Jesus came to do. So for some of you, the absolute most important thing that you can do today is to not only recognize that, but to say, Jesus, that's me, and I need your forgiveness. Like there's those things that keep coming back in your mind. The movie that keeps playing in your head. 
The things you did, the words you said, the actions you took, the way you treated that person, the way you were treated, the things that were done to you, and you keep coming back to that thing over and over and over and over and over and over again, and today's the day for you to say, Jesus, I need you to, I need you to set me free. I need forgiveness. I need a fresh start. And in just a few moments, for some of you, the, the most powerful thing that you can do is say, Savior, I need your forgiveness. I can't do it on my own anymore. And whether it's for the first time or it's for the thousandth time, say, Jesus, I need you. Because when others might have canceled, God can redeem and God can restore. Which takes us to the, the last story of a mom in Matthew chapter one. Matthew chapter one, verse 16 says that Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. We, we finally got to the end of the story, and his mother was Mary. We will, in a few weeks, we'll, we'll take kind of a deep dive into the life of Mary, not just from the Christmas story, because that's usually the only time we talk about Mary, but we're gonna look at her life and her character and, and who she was, why she's such an important uh, character in Scripture. But I want you to look at this from a different perspective today. Look at a perspective of, a, of an individual in the first century who's not heard this story before, because we have a hard time not seeing it through the lens of our familiarity. They've not heard the story before. So in just a few moments... As they're reading Matthew chapter one, they're gonna get to the story of Mary and to them, they don't know who Mary is yet, they just know that she is an unwed pregnant mom in a culture and in a society that would have totally ostracized her. And they would look at her story and they would say, well, th this is not a good thing. This is not a good story. And they would brand it in a certain way. And this is what I want you to see, last lesson number five, that God does the unexpected. In our lives, sometimes God will work in ways that we don't see or we don't understand, but God is at work and he is doing the unexpected. If you were to come up with the plan, you would not come up with a virgin birth with an unmarried woman against all the cultural norms of that time. If anybody had looked at what God was doing, they would have said, this is not the right way, this is not the right thing, this was not what they expected to see happen. And yet God will take the unexpected and he will do the impossible and he will work miracles to accomplish his purpose in our lives. Will he not? And why? What do all five of these women have in common? They have in common that in the unlikely and in the unqualified and in the unloved and in the unholy and in the unexpected, at the end it was Jesus. And he's the one that showed up and that because of Jesus, God can do something unforgettable with your life. He can work something out in your life that you can't even begin to ask or imagine. And here's what we see that is so critical in the lives of every one of these, these, these ladies. This is where I want this to be an encouragement to you today. Every single one of them, the turning point is when they said, God, I give this to you. When they leaned on him first and foremost, when they trusted in Jesus first, in those moments when they put their hope and their confidence in him, that's when these moms trusted God and in the end, he renewed, restored, changed those stories. And in the end, God did amazing things. So can I ask you just to bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment? And as, as we wrap up today, I'm gonna pray a prayer and this prayer is just words. Like they're words that I hope will help us corporately wherever you're a part of this message. To kind of focus 
our thoughts back on God. But here's the reality. This prayer becomes important and powerful based on what you do with it in your heart. And there's really two groups of people that I want to encourage today. One is those of you that just a few moments ago when we talked about forgiveness and when we talked about a fresh start and about how God can redeem what is canceled or unholy in our lives, you said, I need that forgiveness. Whether it's something everybody knows about or nobody knows about, God, I need that forgiveness. And you would say today, I can't do it on my own anymore. And Jesus, I need to begin or begin again a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. If that's you, would you just raise your hand right where you are in this room, auditorium two, watching on our screen. You just say, I can't do it on my own anymore. Jesus, I need you. Awesome, awesome. You raise your hand, put it right back down. It's just between you and God. I can't do it on my own. Jesus, I need you. Thank you. Here, here's, my, here's my second question today for some of you. As we walk through those words, some of them hit you right where you are right now. Because when I said, I hope today's an encouragement to the discouraged, even though there's so many good things in your life, you'd say, there's a discouragement I'm carrying. Something that's unlikely, where you feel unqualified, maybe where you feel unloved, something unholy, or someplace where there's something unexpected in your life. And you know that without God, nothing's gonna change. And you would say, just like these five unforgettable moms, you would say, God, I need you to step into my life. I need to put this in your hands and I entrust it to you today. Moms, some of you have been carrying things in your family, in your past, with your kids, in your relationships, that today's the day when you need to say, God, I put this in your hands. And if you would simply just say, Jesus, I give this to you. Would you restore my story as I entrust it into your hands? If that's you, would you just raise a hand, just kind of symbolize to God. You can raise it, put it right back down. Just symbolize to God, God, this situation, this circumstance, I give it to you. Father, thanks for your word. So thankful for the way you speak to us. God, thanks for the things that you do in us. And Lord, there, there are those who raised a hand to say today, today's the day that they need to begin a relationship with you. Lord, I ask that as they do, Father, would you change their lives as they look to you and say, Jesus, I give you my life. Would you bring forgiveness? Would you bring wholeness? Would today be a day where you start to bring freedom to their hearts? And Lord, for the ones that raised a hand and said that they need you, that they entrust to you this, this moment, this day, this circumstance, this relationship, this person. Father, may these five stories remind us that when we put something in your hands, Jesus, you know how to work it all out for your glory and to see the story of our lives restored and redeemed. Father, today we pray for the moms. Lord, we ask that you would give to them as they lead and love their children and their grandchildren. Lord, would you let them know strength? Would you let them know peace? God, would you give them courage? Would you give them wisdom? Lord, would you bless them, we pray. Lord, we thank you. Would you give us your special favor? 
and your wonderful peace in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, look, if you raised a hand to say that you needed to begin or begin again a relationship with Jesus Christ, or maybe you just need somebody to pray with you today. Something came up this last week, and you just say, I wish somebody would pray with me. Right after our service, just down here, we've got some friends that are here that would love the opportunity to pray with you. If you don't have a Bible that you can easily read and understand, just stop by and have one of them uh, encourage you, pray with you today. One more time, can we thank the Lord for his word as Leah comes to encourage us today?